So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, reading from verse 1. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favour of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And what and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honour, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labour working with our own hands. When reviled we bless, when persecuted we endure, when slandered we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a, gen- in a spirit of gentleness? Amen. Well, let's pray as we study God's word together. Our Father, we pray that we will heed what is a very important uh, chapter in this letter, um, something that we do need to think about very much in our time Help us to give it the attention that it merits, and we pray that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, this letter, 1 Corinthians, is a letter about what authentic and mature ministry looks like in a local church. We've had quite a season looking at letters about the church, Ephesians, 1 Timothy, and now 1 Corinthians. And it is really important that we have a good, hard look at what the New Testament says we should be like as a church, and then have a good, hard look at the church and see if they match. The church in Corinth had moved on from what they saw as Paul or the apostles' ministry patterns 
to what they regarded as a better, more acceptable, persuasive style of ministry in church. And so this letter is corrective from the Apostle Paul. It is loving but corrective. How does it apply to us at Chalmers? As we get immersed in a particular Bible book, perhaps those of us who are spending much of our working week wrestling with it need to be asking the question, what is the letter saying to us as a church? And it won't do simply to explain it and how it applied to the church in Corinth in the first century. How does it apply to us? Here are three words which might capture, or I think might capture, it's that first word is encouragement. Encouragement. Much of what is happening in church life here, or at least what we are aspiring to in terms of emphases or convictions or priorities, is authentic and mature ministry. Now that might immediately sound arrogant. But my job as minister is to speak as truthfully and honestly as I can to look at the Bible, look at the church, look at the church, look at the Bible. And I think it's right to be encouraged at evidence of authentic ministry. And if I'm wrong, or if it is presumptuous or arrogant in any way, may God expose that. Second word is caution. Perhaps strong caution. Not warning, but caution. As we engage in thinking through the next 10 years of ministry here. And a strong caution to Redeemer. Don't be seduced by your own hearts to build a church that is impressive or to seek a reputation. And if there is growth and fruitfulness, which is a good thing, there's nothing wrong with that, especially if it's people becoming Christians, if that happens, beware the plaudits that come your way. Beware the growing reputation in the evangelical community. The Chalmers is the church you need to go to when it comes to training to learn from them. Beware the request to write about it. Beware the request to speak about it. Now, that doesn't mean to say you don't write about it or you don't speak about it. But one has to guard one's heart and motivations and risk and reputation and the associated dangers. So consciously be cautious. Third exhortation, to keep going, pursuing authentic biblical ministry. Because it's going to get harder. Why? Because authentic church and ministry as described in the New Testament, in letters like Corinthians, 1 Timothy, Ephesians, and others, is increasingly out of step with the culture and increasingly out of step with the culture of much of the church. And that is why Jesus' word, the Bible, is so vital and so precious to us. Letters like 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and 1 Timothy describe what an authentic local church should be like. And that is what we need to constantly exhort one another to. If you come to the first service, um, there's a kind of general hubbub of noise from start to finish. And when the kids go up, the little sparklers up there, they sing these ancient Bible choruses that some of us can remember from youth. Like one of them has got a line in it, because the Bible told me so. It's a good thing they're learning. And why, why do we pattern church according to what the New Testament says? Because the Bible told me so. Yes. But because... The power of God is at work in churches that do what God's Word says. And they will probably not look all that impressive, 
or feel often all that impressive. But people's lives will be changed. So let me give you these three words and uh, we'll play around with them. Uh, Rog and I, as we preach on this, do come back to us, give us feedback on this. The application of the letter to us, encouragement, conscious caution, and exhortation. Now, the first section of this letter, chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, Paul's focus is on the leadership of the church in Corinth, the preachers, the leaders, the elders, the ministers. He has real concerns about them, and he has real concerns about how the church in Corinth regards them. And here in chapter 4, he wraps up his argument by focusing on two areas. And uh, by leaders, uh, in Chalmers, it means people like me and Roger and Sam and Johnny and the other elders and other preachers and small group leaders and so on and so forth. Let me just whet your appetite for what's ahead. Which of the preachers here do you prefer? Who's the best? Who do you like listening to? And why? Let me leave that, and we'll come back to it. Now, first, the Corinthians thought they had advanced beyond apostolic revelation. Now, you need to follow really carefully with me here because Paul is direct and subtle too. So follow in your Bibles with me. The Corinthians thought they had advanced beyond apostolic revelation. Verse 1, this is how one should regard us. And he's talking about them as apostles and all leaders in the church as servants of Christ and steward of the mysteries of God. This is how one should regard us. This is what the leaders in the church in Corinth should think of themselves. It is how the congregation should regard them, and it applies to us here. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God... A Christian leader is a servant of Christ. Often Christian leaders are spoken of in the New Testament as those who serve God's people, and so they do. But they are first and fundamentally servants of Christ. A Christian leader, moreover, is a steward to treasure, to guard something that does not belong to them but has been entrusted to them. To the Christian leader, the mysteries of the almighty eternal God and speaking of that have been entrusted to them to guard, to teach, and to pass on to the next generation. Verse 2. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful to their master and faithful to the mysteries of God they have been entrusted with. At the heart of what it means to be a Christian leader is teaching, and Jesus leads his church through his words. The human leaders in a local church lead by teaching and they are to be faithful to Jesus' word. And we're talking here about fidelity. Honest, loyal commitment. How important is fidelity in a marriage? How important is fidelity in the ministry marriage 
between a Christian leader and their Lord. Very. It is notable that Paul writes that it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Literally, found out to be faithful. It's almost like the Christian leader is rumbled. And they're found to be faithful. Which is why Paul goes on to say, verse 3, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. And what Paul is saying, and he's not saying this with the kind of arrogance that sometimes you hear, I don't care what you think, God's told me. Not what he's saying. He's saying that what concerns him fundamentally and ultimately is what the Lord Jesus, who is his judge, thinks about his leadership. That does not mean that a Christian leader does not listen to or take account of wise counsel or indeed encouragement from others or from people they minister to. One of the biggest dangers for Christian leaders is that they do not listen to those around them. But it means that they constantly take account of the one. You see, however trustworthy we are as counsels to one another, a Christian leader must only take account and counsel from those they minister to and with if they first take account of the one they minister for as his servant and his steward. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, you can say that and hear it in different ways. I don't care what you think. God's my judge. Or I care deeply what you think. But Jesus, in the end, is my judge. Verse 5, Paul focuses our minds, as he will do increasingly in this letter, on eternity. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. What a straight line that is. It'll be a wonderful day when we are welcomed into the presence of God, but a sobering day as we are judged for our faithfulness as believers. It's not judgment for salvation, but it's judgment nonetheless for faithfulness. And those who are in leadership, or teachers, leaders are teachers, will be judged more severely. Here's a verse from James. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Not the very best advertising campaign. Not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Strictness. Now, let me immediately draw on the three words that characterize the application of this letter. Encouragement, where it's due, take it to heart. Caution. Be careful. And exhortation, keep going. Paul is not asking anything of us that he does not ask of himself. Verse 6, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers. And then we get this very important statement 
that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Now, there's a fundamental principle for Christian leadership, not to go beyond what is written. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, Paul must be referring to the written scriptures of the Old Testament. Learn by us not to go beyond what is written in the Old Testament scriptures. And in the first section of the letter, Paul has quoted a number of times from the Old Testament scriptures to make this point exactly Exposing how the leaders, the preachers in the church at Corinth had gone beyond what was written. Let me show you an example. So turn back to chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. Paul writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. That's from Isaiah 29. And the point is, if the Christian leader goes beyond the wisdom of God and embraces the wisdom of the world and receives for it plaudits, Position, platforms, and praise. God's assessment is you're a fool. Now what we mustn't do with this is is wriggle out of the straightness of what he writes. Now, there's more, I think, in what Paul is writing here than that when he says, learn by us not to go beyond what is written. When he says, learn by us not to go beyond what is written, I think he embraces in that the fact that the foundation of the church in Corinth had been the apostles' ministry. The apostles' ministry had been consistent with the emphases in the Old Testament Scriptures a commitment to the wisdom of God. But the apostles had been inspired to interpret the Old Testament Scriptures in the light of Jesus. The risen, ascended, and reigning Jesus had inspired the apostles to write His words. Jesus' words, a revelation that they would in time write down in the New Testament in letters like 1 Corinthians. And we are in a wonderfully privileged position. We have the full revelation of God in the written scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. We have it all written. It's crystal clear. We are not to go beyond what is written in terms of of what the gospel is, the message of the cross. Do not dare to the Christian leader spin the gospel. Do not dare Move on from the unimpressive message of Christ and Him crucified. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We are not to go beyond what is written, moreover, in terms of what the Christian life is, which is the next bit in Corinthians. If you want a seat at the civic table 
in our culture, in our time, you must move on from what the Bible teaches the Christian life is. And if you want a seat at the table in the church, you must move on to a more acceptable description than God's of what the Christian life is. Moreover, we are not to go beyond what is written in terms of what the right balance is between living for now and living for eternity. We are not to go beyond what is written in terms of what a local church should be like and the mix and use of gifts in a local church. All of these matters and more will be addressed by Paul in this letter. And in relation to the matter of leadership in the church, we are not to go beyond what is written in Jesus' word about leadership. And that's the focus of these first four chapters. Now, if the leader's job is simply to teach and preach God's Word. Now, don't again misunderstand this. If a Christian leader doesn't have the gift of the gab, you should suggest they do something else. That's a taken for granted thing. If your leaders are not working hard at their preaching, to preach clearly and succinctly and well and in an applied way, Send them on a course. But there is no room for boasting for the Christian leader in their oratory because they're not telling you anything they haven't been told to say. They're not giving you any wisdom that hasn't been given to them. They're simply picking up the Bible every week, wrestling with it, praying over it, talking to their fellow preachers and trying to coherently explain it in a way that applies it to our hearts. Why should they be puffed up about that? What is there to boast in? We cannot boast because anything true that we say we have received, we have not found it. I remember as a student training for ministry, standing in a vestry, uh, being prayed, uh, I'm looking forward to having a vestry again. A vestry, if you don't know, is a small room that only the minister can use. And you cannot find me there and you can never come in. So whoever's going to refurb the building, that's a little hint. And they prayed for me in the vestry. Dear Lord, we pray that Robin will be led into the truth. And I felt awfully important. And you see, when I say that, and you think, oh, no, 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 no. Of course, we're not led into the truth. We are to be faithful to the truth. Is there not a bit in your heart and my heart that wants to be led into the truth? Is there not a bit in your heart and my heart that wants to have a reputation and wants to be a slick and sophisticated and able orator that people hang on your every word? Of course there is. What you need to pray for us is that we will submit to the truth we have been given and do the best job we can to explain it to you and apply it clearly. Do not go beyond what is written. The leaders in the church at Corinth had thought they had advanced beyond the apostolic revelation to something better and wiser. Many, many leaders in the church then and now think they have advanced beyond apostolic revelation to something better, to something wiser. And they are proud of it, and people are proud of them. They gain a reputation, they have a hearing, they have a seat at the table. No doubt they would be lauded by the civic authorities in Corinth. 
But embracing the world's wisdom, they have lost God's wisdom. And in losing God's wisdom, you lose God's power. And people will not be converted. They will not be changed. And they will not be in eternal glory. Now, if you think that's really straight and really direct, all I want to do to you is appeal to you to read what the apostles write. Now, the Corinthians thought they had moved beyond apostolic revelation. And when you move beyond apostolic revelation, when you move beyond the Bible in terms of the content of what you say, very often one is tempted to move beyond the Bible in terms of the kind of way you live. That's why Paul says elsewhere, watch your teaching and your life. Your life and your teaching run in parallel. They moved beyond apostolic experience. Let's read verses 8 to 13 again. Already you have all you want. He's writing to these leaders in the church in Corinth. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrespute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled we bless. When persecuted we endure. When slandered we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world. The refuse of all uh, things. And it takes real steel. And real nerve. And real fear of the Lord. Not to say. That's a little bit extreme, Paul. Let's move on from that. I guess the Corinthians had sidelined the cross in their preaching and thinking and in their lives. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Fools for Christ's sake, weak, disrepute, reviled, persecuted, slandered, the scum of the earth. Now, here is as brutally an honest uh, illustration, personally, as I can give you. Uh, This past week, I have been pondering what might have been. And uh, it's been a week of ecclesiastical stuff and press and politics and so on. I've been pondering what might have been a life of ecclesiastical status. Committees reporting that I was asked to be on. Authority and leadership. Being inside, not on the outside. Now, I have no doubts about walking away from all of that, but I have regrets and there is sin in regrets watching others where I might have been and wishing to be on the inside. And then God gets me to preach on this bit in 1 Corinthians. Jesus' word comes alive before your eyes. Let me encourage you that uh, that's happening more and more and more. Now, what, what does Paul say? He's not saying, come on, mate, you're a fool. You're weak. You're reviled. He's not saying that. He's embracing the Christian leaders and he's saying, 
We are fools for the sake of Jesus. We are weak. We are in disrepute. We are reviled, persecuted, slandered, mocked. Just like who? Just like Jesus. So hear these descriptions as an encouragement. Be cautious of the risk of being lured back inside and exhort one another to keep on going. One more thing before we get to the implications at the end. It is in verses 8 to 9. Just read very carefully what he writes. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. And so on. And he's saying to the church in Corinth and to the leaders there, Already, now in this life you've got all that you want. Already you've become rich. And there is in the church in Corinth a massive distortion between our Christian experience now and our Christian experience in eternity. You show me in the New Testament anywhere where the emphasis and weight says that now in this life there is prosperity and glory It says, now in this life there is suffering and serving. Glory then. It seems the church in Corinth had moved beyond what is written, living with too much emphasis on glory now rather than glory uh, later. And if God comes in his power to these islands again in our lifetime, we'll see this. So let's get on a plane in our minds to East Asia today, where our people that we know well, and you know who I mean, were kind of bunkering down this morning in all sorts of houses across the city. The church is growing rapidly. What does it look like? It looks like suffering and serving. It doesn't look like or feel like eternity has broken in. Now remember, in all of this, it is in the realm and only in the realm of authentic Christian experience and authentic Christian leadership and authentic Christian church that the saving power of God is at work. Do not confuse God's power which saves people for eternity with worldly power which exalts people for a passing time they are not the same. Now, verses 14 to 21 conclude the section and indeed the first four chapters with tough words from a loving father in the faith. Let me just read them. I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Uh, he doesn't write these things to shame them, but to change them. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urged you then, be imitators of me. And that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. People were saying that Paul can write these letters, but he's not going to come. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, 
but their power. Ask the hard questions of a leader. Tell me stories of people's lives who are being changed. Tell me stories of people who are speaking of Jesus. Tell me stories of repentance. Show me. Take me to them. Show me how you're praying. What do you wish, Paul writes? Should I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Now, that was the introduction to the sermon. <laughs> now, what you've got here on the end is, is work in progress. And what I want you to do is to think and pray through these things and speak to me, to Roger, to Sam, to Johnny, to others, to the elders. Here are uh, my first go at 11 implications for us on Christian leaders. It is important for every church. It is important as we expand our ministry team in the church. We're about to have Apollos, Cephas, and an Apollos. If we appoint another kind of senior person, another shepherd, another pastor, teacher, we'll have a Paul, a Cephas, and an Apollos. Well, to be fair, we're not going to have that. We'll have Roger, Robin, and somebody else. Um, and we're a church that trains leaders, so goodness me, we better think through what we are training them to be like. Now, here are six. I'm going to just uh, mention most of them and uh, correct one or two of them, which are a little confusing, and apply two of them. One, look honestly, this is to us as leaders, to you as a leader, whatever leadership you are in. Look honestly at your hearts as to how you think about Christian leaders and yourself. Let me encourage you, as someone who's been in this for a while, that your heart is hardwired to contradict your new heart in Christ. Our culture is so so persuasive as to what we should be like and how we should think of leaders. Number two, leaders, do not look for praise, popularity, platforms, or position as your means of affirmation. Look first to Jesus and his word for your affirmation. And then, only to those whose counsel you can really trust. But you need counsel. You need people to affirm you. Number three, listen to the critique let me rephrase that, from Jesus through his word. So you need critique as a leader, but the critique you need is from Jesus through his word. That's why it's good for us as a church that your preachers are preaching 1 Corinthians. It's good for us. Listen to critique from Jesus through his word and then only from those whose counsel you can really trust. But you must have people as a leader around you who you will listen to. You need that. You must listen. Do not advance beyond apostolic revelation, which is Jesus' word. Do not advance beyond apostolic experience. Now, I'm trying to rephrase what Paul writes. Come to terms with the fact that authentic ministry is cross-shaped, brutal, relentlessly difficult, discouraging, and despised. If it's not, if it's not, it's not real. 
Now, you might think that's crazy. It's not crazy, it's how it is. For me, it starts about Friday morning. By the time it gets to Saturday night, I've had enough. Every week is the same. And it feels like it's cross-shaped, brutal, relentlessly difficult, discouraging, and despised. Just as how it is. Don't build a ministry that depends on your personality, leadership, gifts, and godliness. Well, there's a lesson I've had to learn. Use your personality, which is a good thing. Nothing worse than a minister that is a grumbly, grumbly. Use your leadership if you're a leader. Use your gifts if you're gifted. Use your godliness to build a ministry. That's not wrong, but not so that it depends on you. Why is it that Christian leaders are bad in retirement? Because they haven't learned that. Roger, and my job, and the elders, is to build a ministry in Chalmers that depends on nothing other than Jesus and his word. Right, preachers and leaders off the hook for a minute. Here's five for us all to finish. Look honestly at your hearts at how you think about Christian leaders. Learn from Jesus' word what kind of leadership leads to lasting fruitfulness and seek it out. Learn from Jesus' word the difference. There's a, that's my only humorous one there, just to lighten the tone. Learn from Jesus' word the difference between your podcasts and your pastor teachers. Quite proud of that, really. What's the difference in your podcast and your pastor teachers? I, I have my podcast, Alistair Begg. I listen to his Truth for Life thing every day. You see me and Roger with our flaws much more clearly than the podcast. We know your lives. You know each other's lives. Listen to your podcasts. But come on a Sunday. And listen to your pastor teachers. Have coffee together. And speak the truth in love. Number four, hold accountable and evaluate your pastor teachers for the right reason. So let me come back to my initial question. Who is your favorite here? Is it me? Is it Roger? Is it Sam? Is it Johnny? You can't have people you want to listen to more than others for these reasons, if you sense, and you will know this, that I am struggling in matters of godliness, then suggest, and what that will come out as is, I'm struggling to really listen. I'm struggling to, to, to be changed under God's word when he's preaching. Ask us to stop for a bit. Tell us that something is wrong. Or if you've had enough of listening to Sam or Roger because you sense that they're false because they don't love you, then tell them. So there are reasons that it's right to evaluate preachers. They haven't worked hard in the sermon. 
Roast them. But do not compare them because you like the way they look or you like the way they talk or because one is your minister and the other is your assistant minister or one is an English accent, one is an Edinburgh accent, one is exuberant, one is melancholy. And that kind of atmosphere is everywhere in the evangelical church. And Paul says, you're like kids in the playground. Now, if I'm going to survive another 10 years in this job, which has been pretty crazy in the last 10 years, we need three pastor teachers up here and others, but we're the three, Roger, me, and A and other. And let's not evaluate each other apart from the right reasons. And uh, lastly, never ever build your faith around a Christian leader. And I've inserted the words, these are the only words I've taken from another book. Never build your faith around a Christian leader. Build your faith only in Jesus and his word. I've inserted the bit in the middle, even though you love and value them. I think that's true. And you are allowed to love and value Christian leaders. That's not a bad thing with all their foibles and mistakes. But do not build your faith around us. be a foolish thing to do. Build your faith around Jesus and his word. So how bang up to date is 1 Corinthians? Isn't it fantastic? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the clarity and power of these letters. How authentic they are when they speak of authentic church. And we pray, Lord, for these three watchwords, encouragement, caution, and exhortation. Keep us steady. Keep us accountable. And keep us going. Just keep us going. For Jesus' sake. Amen.